we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 tonight, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 18. Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's begin by um, reading our scripture for tonight. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. Have you guys ever been laying in a dark room at night and you see what you think is maybe a figure in the room, like a shadow or something? Maybe you're a, you could think back to when you were a kid and you would see something and you would have this, like what you think is a monster. And then as soon as you flip on the lights, you realize, oh, that's just my coat hanging up in the corner and kind of freaks you out, right? Well... Jesus, in this passage, is shining a light on the righteous deeds of the religious people of the disciples' day. The religious people that they, uh, that they would see doing all these religious acts that seemed to be notable and worthy of emulating. But underneath all the theatrics was motives of self-promotion and pride, unforgiveness, and ultimately a lack of relationship with the Father. Jesus doesn't say that the things that they were doing were wrong, but the motive of the heart. 
And we think back to all that we've been discussing through the Sermon on the Mount. Man, Jesus is really driving every bit of his teaching to the heart. We had just finished uh, a couple weeks ago looking at the, um, the certain laws and how they were observed in uh, Jesus' day. Just because you didn't commit murder didn't mean that you didn't commit murder in your heart when you were angry with somebody or committing adultery. And so Jesus went through all these things and really driving the home, point home that the condition of the heart is where it's at, what's going on. So Jesus is teaching his disciples to do the same things with the right motives for the right reason from a place of fellowship with God the Father. That's the key point. Jesus uses the term your father in heaven. Your Father in Heaven, over and over and over. All the motives of our deeds, everything that we do as a Christian, should be born out of our relationship with the Father. So some of the questions we may want to ask ourselves tonight as we're going through this is, who am I seeking to please through my actions? And why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my motivation? So let's look at this um, passage tonight. We'll... We're going to move fairly swiftly as I try. But um, verse 1, we'll start there. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus' preface to the next few things that he was going to describe. Uh, he says to beware, take heed. And really what it means is to hold your mind on this matter. And the matter is... The practicing of their righteousness. Some translations read doing your charitable deeds. But the root word there is referring to righteousness. The things that you're doing. The righteous deeds. Jesus is going to give three examples, as we've already read, of the righteous deeds of the Jews of the day. The things that were practiced on the regular. These were spiritual disciplines that were practiced by the Jews of the day and components of their piety. So the way they displayed their religiosity or their religiousness was through giving to the poor or alms, as we see it described in the Bible, uh, praying and then fasting. And we saw that Jesus, he hits on all three of those points in our passage tonight. And the warning or the thing to take careful look at was if their deeds were being done for God or if they were, in fact, an an act to gain the attention of other men. That was the thing to consider in their, their good works, their deeds. The word for be noticed or be seen in the Greek is the word that we get our word theatrical from. A spectacular performance. It paints a picture, right, of how these uh, righteous deeds were being performed. They were being performed in such a way that they, to draw attention. And um, there's other language that we'll see that kind of even exemplifies that further. But Jesus describes the fact that the good deeds could be done as theatrics, as an act. He's describing the fact that all these good things, they could actually be done with false motives. 
And his warning to his disciples is beware. Think about these things and the practice of your righteousness. Jesus says that practicing these things to be seen by men voids any reward from the Father who is in heaven. So if their concern was about God and their, their Father in heaven, then they, they would want to be concerned with how they were doing their good deeds, their works. And these rewards from the Father describe a reward that is with him. It's beside him. It was in his presence. And that was where they would receive that reward in the last days. What we need to understand is there is a right way in which to do these things that are practiced that leads to reward, a reward from the Father. And Jesus is leading us as his disciples to the place of reward from the Heavenly Father. That's how he's teaching. He's wanting his disciples how to know how to receive this reward. And how to live rightly in the world in relationship with the Father. The reward that awaits us in heaven with the Father. He is instructing us in our relationship with the Father. This is what he's doing. Beware of this example. I'm telling you to do this. This is the right way. These righteous deeds are not something to be done for attention, but a response to the relationship we have with God Almighty, who Jesus over and over says is our Father. Now, this idea of God as Father was not a typical way for the Jews to think of God God in Jesus's day or to understand their relationship to God. There are uses of God in a fatherly illustration in the Old Testament, but there was not this this intimacy of calling God Abba, which is that that intimate term of fellowship, of relationship. And it actually made the religious leaders of Jesus's day angry when he would call God his father because they said that he was making himself equal to God. So it kind of gives you a point of why they wouldn't use that imagery as much. And that can be found in John chapter 5, verse 18. Here, he is teaching the disciples that God is their father. And because he is their father, they are to practice their righteous deeds unto him, and that their reward is with him. So what are these righteous deeds? What are the things that Jesus is talking about? Well, we've already talked about it. Giving praying and fasting. So Jesus is going to address those things of his day. There are things that are still going on in the church today. Things that should be practiced by all Christians. Now, the first thing that we come to is giving. Giving to the poor is what is the whole concept behind this giving. And we want to ask, what's the purpose of giving? You know, giving to the poor was central to the uh, to Jewish piety. It was There is record of many gifts being given to the poor. We have um, the the term alms. And as uh, the the Bible dictionary defines it, alms were money given out of mercy for the poor. That was the concept behind it. The Israelite was commanded to be generous in opening his hand wide to the poor and needy. That was in Deuteronomy 15.11. 
Gleanings from the vineyards, orchards, olive groves, and fields should be made available to the poor. You can find that in Leviticus, Ruth, uh, and a couple of places in Ruth, where we see God had commanded his people to leave a section of their land ungleaned or unharvested so that the poor can go and actually get some sustenance, something to take care of them. That was part of their giving. And then blessings were promised to those who were generous in aiding the poor in Proverbs 14.21 and Proverbs 19.17. Eventually, the notion developed that almsgiving had power to atone for the giver's sins. Obviously, that wasn't true. But you can see where they would get to this point where they were doing a work to compensate for a lack or a sin elsewhere. How it was twisted in the hearts of men. We see uh, giving to the poor was still the practice of the early church. And characters such as Lydia and Cornelius were mentioned for their faithful giving to the poor. And God acknowledges those who give gifts of food to the hungry in other way and in other ways show compassion to the needy. We see Isaiah 58, 6 through 8 and 1 John 3, 17. Giving was a way to ease the suffering of the poor, to share our blessings with those in need. And in the early church, giving to those in need was expected. We see it listed in Acts eleven thirty, Romans 15, 25 through 27. In 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 4. And I'm giving these cross-references to you because we don't have time to look at every single one of them. But I hope that you could go home and grab some of those and, and look at them. So Jesus sets the, the, um, the first topic of discussion on giving and, and he states it to his disciples. So when you give to the poor, it's not a question as if they're doing it. it is when they do it. He says, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. So that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, Jesus said the men were sounding trumpets before them, giving to the poor. You get this idea of somebody going, Look at me. I'm going to hook, hook John up with this thing over here. Or Tim, I got a nice plate of food for you, buddy. You know, and all you guys are looking on. And, and that's kind of this caricature of the way that the, the religious hypocrites were doing their works. And it's, it, is a, it, it is an image. It's a hyperbole because there is no record of Jews actually blowing horns before they actually they would give. It wasn't, some say that the, the giving collection tube was shaped like a horn so they could throw money into it. And there was a play on words that Jesus was using. Maybe so. I don't know. But the, Jesus is describing men going out of their way to be known for their generosity. And he calls these men hypocrites. That's a strong word, right? It's not an easy word that you just throw out there. We know the word. It describes a person who is insincere, one who does one thing or says one thing and does another. Jesus used it to describe the men who gave to the poor, but it was not the poor that they were concerned about, but the recognition of others who looked on. 
And like the light that Jesus is, none of these actors could hide their true intent from him. He called what looked righteous an act, a theatrical display. And that the only reward that they would receive would be the recognition from other men. That was it. And this whole idea, Jesus uses this term reward in full three times as he's talking about each of these uh, situations, these um, pious acts of, uh, of the religious hypocrites. He, he says this term paid or uh, reward in full. And it was actually a common uh, statement of the day. It was one that uh, that it was to say that one had received a receipt that they've been fully repaid. So it's getting signed off that you have been your debt has been paid. You're getting a receipt. And so whatever blessing they would have gotten for the act of doing good and giving. That was their payment was the recognition from other men. But Jesus goes on to teach his disciples the true way to give. He goes, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice that the act still remains. Giving is still something that Jesus is requiring his followers to do. Just because it's done wrongly by others doesn't mean that the disciple wasn't to do the same thing. But giving was still to happen by the disciple, but it was to be done in a certain way. And Jesus uses imagery here that seems a little bit weird. You know, okay, give so that your other hand doesn't know what is being given. You know, you think, well, they're both being operated by the same head. So, you know, how is that possible? But Jesus is using extreme imagery like he's been using. Remember the last time you talked about your hands? Yeah, you got to cut it off because of uh, so you don't enter into to hell because you're sinning. And and he's using these these exaggerated images to drive a point home. And the idea is that not even the closest thing to you should know what is being done. That is, it should be so secret that the giver readily forgets what he gave. Think about that. It should be so secret that the giver readily forgets what he gave. It's not a, it's not a, a thing they continue to think about. Oh, I gave the hundred bucks to that person or this thing or, you know. I, you walk around and, and a friend goes, hey, you want to go out to lunch? Oh, I can't. I just gave my last hundred bucks to, you know, somebody. <laughs> you know, you're drawing all that attention to you. The emphasis is that the only one your righteous deeds are seen by or done before is your father in heaven. And it's done because of his generosity, we give. If they are done for him, you will not be left without reward. Think of all the blessings that others receive when we simply love our Heavenly Father. He's caring for others through our relationship with him. 
This is a truth that's always stuck with me. Uh, I, when we were really young, uh, I can't remember. I might have been high school, might have been like late junior high. We went to Mexico on a missions trip. And God's love for the people in need that we were ministering to just washed over me. That, that we would fill up all these cars. Not us, but the Lord would use us to bring all of these goods to the, this people in need. And uh, to see them just blessed. It just, all I could think about was how good God was to love these people through me. And it wasn't anything that I had done. But I was just an instrument for him blessing others. And because I know him, he's going to do that. And I just think about that. You know, as we love our father in heaven, as we serve him, and we do these things for him, think about those that are being blessed by it. It's amazing. And we are blessed in the doing of those things. But one cannot expect to be rewarded from man and from God. Can't do your works for, for man and then expect God to reward you as well. It's either or. And we see that ex explained later on uh, at the end of chapter 6. Jesus says something very similar. You cannot serve God and wealth. One has your heart. Either it's the recognition from man or it's the recognition from God. You get to choose. Jesus moves on to prayer. The larger section of, of this passage here that we're looking at tonight. But Jesus will address the motives behind our prayer. And then he gives instructions what to do and what not to do and why. Followed with an example of prayer and a warning about forgiveness. What is prayer? Simply put, it is communi uh, communication with God. It's communication with God. And it's that simple fact that almost highlights in a greater way the tragedy of what these guys were using prayer for, which was to be seen by other men. Jesus will describe the ways it was being misused, and he will describe the right posture for prayer. He will also give an example prayer, which we will give which will give more insight into what prayer actually is. He goes, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, like the actors, the fakers, the ones wearing masks. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. There it is again, reward in full. Prayer by the hypocrites was done in these public places where they could be seen and heard. This was not a conversation be, between man and his God, but an act to be seen by others. And Jesus says, when you pray to his disciples in verse 6, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus instructs his disciples. Remember, he's teaching them in the ways of, of the relationship with their heavenly father. He's teaching them in the ways of, of reward and blessing. Jesus instructs his disciples in the proper attitude of prayer. Prayer to the disciple is to their heavenly father. It's based in relationship with him. 
To use it to be seen by others as religious or pious is to misuse this privilege. Now, we might get confused here. You know, what about praying with other believers in prayer groups or, you know, home fellowships? Well, praying with other believers is not what Jesus is talking about here. Though, that heart can exist still within somebody in the fellowship of believers. It can still be a temptation. But the heart behind believers gathering together to pray is that they're all praying to their Father and in agreement with one another, looking for His will to be done, as we will see here. So this isn't describing group prayer in churches, but somebody, a heart condition that is praying to be seen by others. In verse 7, Jesus goes on, And when you are praying, another thing to be aware of, to be taking heed to, is when are you praying, don't, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of Him. He mentions the Gentiles and the way that they prayed. They were using many words, thinking that the more they said or the more time spent in prayer would draw attention to themselves. But Jesus confounds that and says, your father already knows. You don't even have to say a whole bunch of stuff. Don't think you're going to be heard more so because you can, you know, wax eloquent, eloquently. See, I can't even say that word. Uh, eloquently. If you're praying in old King James, he's not going to hear you more so than somebody who just came from and received Jesus. We approach him, though, on the basis of relationship, not trying to gain his ear through worldly tactics. So what is Jesus's instruction? In the next few verses, you have nine through 13, which are most commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But this isn't truly the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer, right? This is the one he's instructing them. If you want to see the true Lord's Prayer, you're going to go over to John and you're going to see how Jesus was praying to the Father and and for us and for his disciples and those who have yet to believe in him. But Jesus' instruction, he goes, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He begins the prayer for the disciple on the basis of relationship. It's to our heavenly father who is in heaven, the one who sees in secret, the one who who knows what we need before we ask. That's who we are in talk with. That's who we are communicating to. But prayer is to be based in reverence and worship of God as well. And that's why Jesus says, hallowed be your name. What, and that's what hallowed means. It means to revere the Lord. His name is to be revered. That's who we're coming before. That's who is our Father. And prayer is also based in the rule and authority of God over all and the expectation for His kingdom to come. 
That's why he instructs the disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is also seeking the Father's will to be done or our will to be aligned with his here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're coming into his presence looking to be shaped into his image and to accomplish what he wants to do. And prayer also includes petition for personal daily needs. That's why he instructs his disciples, give us this day our daily bread. But prayer also includes requests for spiritual needs such as forgiveness. That's why he says and instructs his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus' example points to the disciples having also forgiven others before asking for forgiveness for themselves. It's key. We can't expect to be forgiven ourselves if we can't extend forgiveness to others. And debt is a, is a word that is used here as descriptive of moral and spiritual debts to God. It's used to describe sin and a sinner and the sinner as a debtor. Uh, one commentator named Vincent says that the word represents sin both as a wrong and a require and, and as requiring satisfaction. That's why it's considered a debt and needs to be settled. Sin is seen as wrong and as requiring satisfaction. And we see Jesus leading his disciples in prayer against temptation or being able to stand in the day of trial. He says in verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation. And the word temptation means trial. It's not the temptation to moral failure because uh, that would that would conflict with other scriptures, such as James 1.13, where it describes the father not uh, as doesn't subject his children to temptation. But he does allow for testing in the lives of his children. And James speaks about this. In other words, temptation here is not just the pull of the flesh towards sin, but any type of trial one might go through. And... um, a quote from a commentator here named France. It says, God, while he does not tempt men to do evil, I already quoted James 1.13, does allow his children to pass through periods of testing. But disciples, aware of their weakness, should not desire such testing and should pray to be spared exposure to such situations in which they are vulnerable. Lord, keep us from evil. Keep us from the time of testing so that we may stand strong and then it concludes in prayer prayer concludes in praise for yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever that's also a reminder of who we are praying to and who is in control and who we have just brought all of these things to yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen 
Jesus seems to circle back a little bit to expound on verse 12 for us. Remember verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He goes on in verse 14, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. These words help explain what Jesus had said in verse 12. Forgiveness of others is required for those who have been forgiven. Think about that. We have been forgiven such a great debt. I just realized I forgot to turn the lights on, guys. I'm sorry. It's so bright in here, but it's getting darker. And I'm like, oh, no. Anyways, we don't have too much further to go anyways. But forgiveness of others is required for those who have been forgiven. We have been, our debts have been forgiven. The Lord wants us to show that in return. He requires it from us. There's no room in the life of the disciple to hold on to wrongs done by others or to continue holding on to bitterness towards them. It will, ultimately what it does is it disrupts the relationship with the, of the disciple with the father. You can't continue, you're not going to be able to continue on with him. He's going to call you to do this. And it'll become a wedge in your relationship. And so you see why Jesus circles back to this. What did Peter ask him? Like, Lord, how many times should I, you know, forgive my, the guy who sins against me? Seven times? He thought he was being a real champ. Like, seven times? Yeah, that's great, Peter. You're doing really good. No, he said 70 times seven. He said, you have to keep on forgiving. And that's nothing that we can't do without the power of Christ working within us. The power of the Holy Spirit. The last and final thing that Jesus addresses in this section is fasting. He says, whenever you fast, starting in verse 16, what is fasting? It's going without food or drink voluntarily, generally for religious purposes. Fasting, however, could also be done for other reasons. It was sometimes done as a sign of distress or grief or repentance. We see that displayed in the, in the Bible in the other ways we've seen it, the law of Moses specifically required fasting for only one occasion, the Day of Atonement. That was a required thing for the, all the Jewish people to participate in as they celebrated or they observed the, the Day of Atonement. But what is the purpose of fasting? Not to lose weight. I'll tell you that's the first one, you know. But the purpose of fasting we see many instances of the Bible of fasting in conjunction with prayer. It was the denial of natural needs to seek the Lord. And it was, it's a regular practice. If it's instituted in the life of a believer, it's a regular practice of self-denial. The um, Life Application Bible a study Bible says fasting or going without food in order to spend time in prayer is notable and difficult. It gives us time to pray, teaches us self-discipline and reminds us that we can live with a lot less and helps us, helps us appreciate God's gifts. I liked how that was, how succinct that was. But we see here that fasting was being used to draw attention to the person fasting. What's it say? Uh, what's Jesus continue on in verse 16? He says, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. 
So they put on that gloomy, it's funny, the hypocrite means to wear a mask. And so it's like he's, they're putting on their sad mask and walking around just so dumpy and dissolute, you know, disheveled in order that they could be noticed by others. And they do it so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, what's he say again? They have their reward in full. So now Jesus is going to instruct his disciples on fasting. Fasting had been turned into a show by the hypocrites of the day. They made themselves look disheveled in order to gain attention from others. Their agony in fasting would be made evident to all. Everyone was going to know about it. It's like that saying, how do you know that somebody's vegan? They'll tell you. (laughs) Their fasting was really being done toward other men and not towards God. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is like, take care of yourselves. Put oil on. Make yourself look happy, healthy, normal routine. Don't do anything different. God will see what you're doing. It's for him, right? That's why you're fasting. So you can draw nearer to him, deny oneself, to to spend time with him. Maybe it's interceding for a brother or sister in prayer. You're just choosing to, to deny yourself that time that you would spend to eat, seeking the Lord on their behalf. Uh, Todd shared a little example I haven't been able to get out of my head on our, our small group that sometimes fasting was seen that you would take what you were fasting and you would go and give it to the poor. It was you fasted so someone else could eat. I've been able to get that out of my mind. One of the benefits for being a part of a small group. You hear something that the Lord speaks through another brother or sister, and he is using it to minister to you. A little small group plug right there. In our conclusion, though, I want you to hear the heart of the Savior. He is instructing us in the way of blessing. He is teaching us what it means to enjoy a rich relationship with the Father. He gave himself, being crucified for us, to have and enjoy this relationship with the Father. He gave himself. He was in constant communication, prayer, with the Father, seeking only to do his will. And he fasted, as he fasted in the flesh, his life was characterized with self-denial so that those who believe in him could receive forgiveness for their sin and life eternal. And now we can see the risen Christ standing or at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people. Jesus is giving understanding into these righteous deeds that have been misconstrued by men as a means for self-glorification. He's teaching his disciples what to do. Some of the questions we may ask ourselves through all of this are, who am I seeking to please through my actions? 
what am I doing, or why am I doing what I'm doing, and what is my motivation? And I close with this, Psalm 23. It says that the Lord is our shepherd, and that he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is what Jesus is doing. He's leading us in paths of righteousness, leading his flock, his sheep, teaching them the right path for these good works. He's leading us to the place of reward and blessing with the Father. It would be wise, remember the wise man at the end of this passage, who does the thing Jesus teaches in chapter 7, verse 24, it would be wise for us to take heed to Jesus' words tonight. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight, Lord, and I thank you, Lord. Uh, there's elements of teaching through this so quickly that, Lord, I just feel like there's, there's something that your word is so great, Lord. It, it could be expounded upon and, and, and marinated in so much longer than we've given it tonight. But that's why we pray that your spirit would continue to teach us, Lord, and to bring remembrance, bring to remembrance, Lord, what you, your word has said tonight, Lord. If all that I have said has fallen away, Lord, and all remains is your word, Lord, so be it. Lord, I just pray that um, you would continue to um, lead us, Lord, that you would give us hearts that were that are supple, Lord, and, and willing, Lord, to follow you in the way you lead. Lord, because you are the one leading us in paths of righteousness. For whose sake? Not ours, for yours. So, Lord, we praise you tonight, Lord. We thank you for your words and your teaching, Lord. Give us hearts to pay attention, Lord, and to do, to take heed, Lord, to our actions, Lord, to why we are doing things. And if we're doing something wrong, Lord, that doesn't mean stop. It means to repent from what we've done wrong and do it rightly. Lord, so Lord, we just ask that you would help us. Lord, to, um, to see, Lord, what it is uh, that you have for us tonight, Lord. Give us hearts that desire to pray and seek you earnestly. Give us hearts, Lord, that are generous, Lord that your people would be known as generous people. Lord, and that we would continue to just uh, reflect self-denial, Lord, like Jesus. That's a hard thing to pray. Make us more like Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would just um, bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.